Hi, this is CognitionX's podcast series where we look at the impact of AI and emerging technology on industry, government and society. I'm Charlie Muirhead. And I'm Tabitha Goldstorp. And this episode is a COGX Festival special. In June 2019, we were honoured to bring together 20,000 visitors who came to hear from over 600 speakers across 12 stages in the heart of King's Cross. Our mission is to bring clarity and help ensure responsible deployment and really move the conversation forward. We believe that AI has enormous opportunity for everybody, business, society, the planet. But only 12% of people think that technology has helped society. We won't reap the benefits of AI if we don't avoid the risks of AI. Organizations and individuals developing, deploying, or operating AI systems should be held accountable for their proper functioning. I'm Julian Harris from Cognition X. In this special episode from CogX, the global head of digital HSBC, Josh Bottomley, talks about four things that banks of the future must get right. Customer orientation seems obvious, but with 39 million customers in 47 countries, sometimes their needs vary considerably. And second, credit and regulatory risk, boring as it may seem, is really difficult across multiple jurisdictions, and some of which almost directly conflict. Thirdly, Josh talks about efficiently applying data and technology, servicing some surprising upsides to having virtual assistants in the mix. And finally, changing ways of working. Here, the message is helping staff be more connected personally with the outcomes by freeing them up from mundane work that otherwise gets in the way. This content was originally recorded at COGX 2019 on the innovation, investment, and the economy stage. I thought I'd start with a question actually I posed internally. We were doing a town hall session. Actually, I'm gonna give you two questions, the same questions that we did internally. So, the future of financial services, who is going to win in this data, mobile-driven world that we're in? And the, the question I posed to the internal team was about where that business is gonna come from. So you have three choices. Do you think that that fintech behemoth that will come forward is going to be invented in Shenzhen or in Silicon Valley? Do you think it's going to be invented in Wall Street or Canary Wharf? Or do you think it's going to come from somewhere completely different? So quick show of hands, who thinks that the financial services behemoth of the future will come from Shenzhen or Silicon Valley? Who thinks it's going to come from Canary Wharf or from Wall Street? And who thinks it's going to come from somewhere completely different? That's what this conversation is going to be about. Now, there's one other question which is very important in the context of this industry. If you look at almost all the other sectors where the digital transformations happened, and I was in the media sector in the first dot-com boom, people said this industry cannot globalize because at the time there were two ad agencies in Japan that controlled the media market. You know, Munich was a closed shop in Germany. Um, the U.S. media market had some very specific characteristics, and therefore you couldn't organize globally to compete. What we've seen in the media industry, in travel, potentially even finally in retail, is these industries, the winners, are operating very internationally, if not globally. And the whole concept of what product management is is very different to what used to happen with big multinationals. So who thinks in financial services the big winners, in the, and this is on the retail side, not just the... the the wholesale market side, are going to be international in the same way that they are in the other sectors. Who thinks the winners are going to be local, innovative incumbents like we're seeing with the challenger banks today? 
So what's great is on that one, about 50-50. One of the huge internal debates, if you are in a large bank, is the trade-off between how can we go innovative for a particular customer like with a challenger bank, and how can we operate more at scale and globally? And clearly, I'm at HSBC, so I've put my chips on the table about which side of the equation that that's on, and what do we need to do as an organization to win in that context? So I want to talk about the bank of the future. And I'm going to argue that there are four things that whichever that winning organization is, whether it's Alibaba or Amazon, whether it's HSBC, whether it's a fintech startup, need to get right. The first is a customer orientation. And it sounds absurd in 2019 to have to talk about an industry as big as this to need to talk about customers. In fact, just to give you a sense of the scale, about 2006, I think the data is, when Google and Facebook were probably at the peak at some of those new services that were coming through, Tencent was getting going, the global advertising media market was about $650, $680 billion, the biggest part being US TV advertising. Revenue of financial services this year, about $6 trillion. The scale of this potential investment and change is almost 10 times what led to the core funding innovation in some of those other sectors. So what we're talking about is a huge sector. And again, if you take retail, this is the biggest business that is still largely run domestically left in the world. That's what we're talking about. So why haven't custom orientation um, been there? And the reason that is the second thing that have to get right. As a bank, we need to talk about, in the broadest sense, risk management, about information security, about credit risk, about regulatory risk. And most of that is there for a good reason. And it's really important. If you want to create the bank of the future, you have to realize that it's there to protect people. If you leave most people in most countries to their own devices, people will spend more on their credit card than they can afford to pay back. They will take out mortgages that will leave them with negative equity if there's a downfall. Too many of them are susceptible because they want to believe about their retirement to investing in unsafe areas. The regulation isn't simply a hiccup that needs to be got around. It is serving a purpose, and the general rule is for governments, it's easier to regulate a bank to manage the consumers, because if you put the rules directly on consumers, everyone goes, it's big brother, and you're unpopular, and you don't want to make it work. So if you don't embed that knowledge of how you're going to incorporate, in the broadest sense, the different type of risks, you won't get it right. So the one thing I can guarantee you is if what you think you're going to do is hire a bunch of um, great product managers who know how to deal with personas and have a great technology team that supports it, this is not an industry where you're going to succeed. So you've got to think about customers. You've got to manage risk. The third is you have to apply data and technology. The biggest challenge for us as a bank is how it's not actually to be customer-oriented. It's not understanding those risks. We do that pretty well. It's how do we efficiently apply data and technology quicker, faster, cheaper, and better to meet those needs. So I'm going to talk a bit more about that. And then the fourth, and I don't know how many people here were here yesterday talking to, listening to Eric Brynjolfsson in that group around why productivity from AI, from machine learning, hasn't come through. But his main point is it only works in the context of a broader set of, um, he called them intangibles, and other areas that need to work. And he was using the example of electrification of cars. 
And one of the biggest shifts, and I think it's been a consensus here, this isn't about purely automation and all the people go away, but it is about changing how work is done, what the roles are, and how that works. So that way of working is the critical fourth piece that needs to get right. So what I want to do is just talk quickly, because this is COGX, about from the perspective of data and technology, how is data and technology going to influence the other three? How is that going to influence the customer experience? How does it influence risk management? How does it influence how we work, how we organize, how we create a great place to be and operate? So starting with the customer, um, we've got 39 million customers in about 66 countries. We process about $1.5 trillion of payments a day. We screen about over half a billion um, transactions every month, and we have about over 150 petabytes of data that we manage in the, in the spirit of what we're trying to do for customers. And I think this is the easiest bit of what we're doing. So if you open one of your credit cards in China, the servicing for your card is done by a chatbot. If you're looking for an offer in somewhere like the UAE, which is a very offers-driven credit card, where, which restaurant do I go to? Where's my biggest discount? Again, we're applying some machine learning techniques to how to do that. Um, more interestingly, we are actually analyzing now the unstructured data around some of the feedback we're getting on customers, customer complaints and other areas to work out which problems that we try and fix. One of the, um, again, one of the really interesting pieces about a bank is that we'll get a lot of feedback, and it can be negative feedback, but lots of the negative feedback disagrees with each other. So one of the big challenges that we have in, in this digital world is how much information people want. If we can actually, if we see your data, and we know that you could, you're not using your offers to go into that particular restaurant, or there is a cheaper offer to buy your product somewhere else, some customers come to us and say, we really want that information, why aren't you telling us? And other customers will say, don't go anywhere near us, we, that's not your right, that's not your position. Now, obviously we need to start permissioning that and make it work, but this balance of what do you actually want from your bank in terms of that experience is changing. The interesting piece on the customer side is that there are some basic journeys we all want. We all don't understand why isn't it much easier to open my account, change my address, take out a loan. And certainly we've seen from some of the challenges the ability on a mobile interface to take some, some of those basic journeys and make them well is happening. But I think the real shift that's happening is actually much less about what's happening in the app or in the banking experience. It's making the banking experience personal relevant in other aspects of your life. How do we work out the messages we send, the partnerships we have with other people so that we can do the equivalent of a PayPal bill me later to a non-customer? Or even and most of the messages that we send have got nothing to do with trying to persuade you as a customer to sell more. In fact, one of the, um, one of the factors I'll often talk about is as a bank, we generally make more money when you're on somebody else's website than when you're on our website. If you are using your card and you're buying a product, that's good for us. We might make some foreign exchange revenue from it. We might help you with the payment. There may be a lending opportunity. Most of the time, when you are on our site, it's to help you think about the future as to plan. But very rarely is it to spend money or to buy a product. It's actually not really the business in that sense that we are in. So we have to make this experience personal and relevant. And it brings a whole bunch of problems up. So one, I'm not optimizing my website 
or my mobile app for a conversion of a sales funnel because I don't have that much on a day-to-day -day basis I'm trying to sell. And most of my messages, I'm not even asking for a click or a conversion. In fact, if I'm giving you a message when you arrive in Paris to check you're there, and I say, please contact us if, you're not, if it's not you, I don't have a signal. What's the signal against which I'm starting to optimize the message that comes back from that? So this whole area of whether I'm applying models, I'm applying AI, and this was, if, I, if there's one thing I, 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 I probably got wrong joining from Google, I thought, banks, lots of data, there's that 150 petadytes. It's all about finding some optimization problems that we can start to solve, bring in the data, and we'll get there. And actually, the reality is, there are not as many optimization problems that are as straightforward as that, as, as you would think. Most of the customer experience we need to deliver now is good old-fashioned if-then statements using the right signal and responding to it. But what we do have as a challenge on the customer experience are three things. One is accessing the data. We have much more of a, and, and I think all banks are the same, we have a data engineering problem, not a data science problem. We've got some great data scientists, but the problem is how to make them effective. That's problem number one. Secondly, we have a mind-blowingly complicated data um, issue around how to use the data, navigating the combination of the GDPR rules, the financial crime rules, the data rules. In fact, there is a never-ending series of problems where there are two different regulations that are almost directly in conflict. So if you want to manage the bank of the future, you have to find a very smart way to navigate. So you start off thinking, it's a, you know, to use the cliche, it's a sprint to get to the end, and what you find very quickly is you're on an obstacle course. And that has huge implications for actually the data architectures and the styles that we'll need to do, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. And then the third piece is um, it's the point I mentioned, how invasive into people's lives. What do people actually want from a bank? And my favorite example of this is how many people still remember the Microsoft Paperclip? The Microsoft Paperclip, you know, very smart piece of work. It was very practical. It just annoyed the hell out of us all. We didn't want there and then to be told we weren't doing it right, even if what it was going to do was improve our efficiency. The biggest risk that banks have in, this, in their communication is that we create our versions of the Microsoft Paperclip. Getting that balance right between customers thinking this is a positive experience and a negative is very challenging. So let's talk about the second area of managing risk. Um, I want to just give a, a few examples because there are so many where we are already applying machine learning very effectively, whether it's our collection services, whether it's looking at fraud, um, and managing this ongoing reg risk. And still, there are lots of people, if there's some great reg um, risk management startups and tools, we're very keen to still talk to them and find that work. But the area that's very interesting is around conduct. We have a challenge and people talk about being customer-oriented, but that can mean many things. It's one thing to be customer-oriented towards a particular group of customers, but we have a whole set of other obligations that we need to do. And this is where the, some of these tools that we're talking about at COGX become very relevant. We have to worry about vulnerable customers. We have to worry about customers who, with the best intentions of the world, in, in, in the world, start to behave in ways that isn't in their own interest. And we have some choices. If we know, if we can predict that a customer is likely to be gambling or is behaving irrationally, what is either our obligation or the permission-based rules or the, um, what is the right thing to do 
in terms of how we influence people's behaviors, because we know that with respect to people's money, they do different things. This is much less about the incentives. We spend, just as an example in the UK, we send 26 million um, messages out about people in overdraft. About half of those people actually fix the problem and avoid the fees. It's not that we are trying to be clever and game the system. We have people with credit cards who say, we say to them at the end of the credit card, this is your fourth month in a row that you are going and revolving the debt. We can offer you a much lower price, lower price piece of debt. And what the customers will say to us is, oh, no, but next month will be different. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to take out a loan because then I've acknowledged that I have a problem. There are a lot of situations where people's behaviors is not in the line, as we all know, from cognitive distance and behavioral economics. And let me finish with the area I think is actually the most interesting, but the most ill-defined area, which is how we use data, machine learning, in how we work and what we do with our customers. So in coming back to the point that, that came up of productivity, there are some obvious areas where what we find is the digital experience is not going to be enough. If you're dealing with bereavement, if you're dealing with an elderly parent who does not have a power of attorney, you get into some very complicated experience. And we need to start, and we're starting to change some roles, which say, how do we hand from a digital experience into a live agent, into potentially setting up a meeting with somebody who can show you the empathy and work with that? And that's the stuff, that's the more obvious stuff that you can do. I've got no doubt, if I had a digital-only bank, I would start opening points of presence. I would start to have real people at my front line because money is both complicated and it can become very emotional. People can start to be irrational. And it, we're quite a long way from having, even if the analytics can work it out, having the actual interface being done by machine. That's the more obvious stuff. The less obvious stuff is actually more ambitious. How do we start to give people the sense that because they are working with HSBC, and this applies both to our broader communities of frontline staff as well as to the more high-end people, that people can say, I am a more skilled person, I'm a more effective person, and I'm learning more because I am in this organization. We need to think of it a bit like an exoskeleton. If you're wearing an exoskeleton, you have strength that you didn't have before, you have capabilities that you didn't have. And banks are still a little bit stuck in what I would call the, the old business process re-engineering world of let's design the process and you explain to people what your role is in that process. And in many cases, that could be answering calls, it could be doing other areas. We need to get to a world where people say, because I am here, I am more clear on my purpose, I'm more effective at helping people, and I feel much more connected with what I'm trying to do in terms of helping people with their financial lives and their financial dreams and operations. And in doing that, by the way, we will become much better at partnering with fintechs, with other startups, and with other areas. It's a complete shift in how we see our perspective of the role. So I think we are going to see banking, like lots of areas, and our chief executive supports this, in terms of saying the best way that we support our customers is through being the best bank in the world that managed to combine the people side with the technology and with the data. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode compelling, there are three things we'd love you to do. One, subscribe to our podcast series so you don't miss another episode and please share it with your friends. Number two, if you want to experience COGX yourself, go to cogex.co and register so you hear about next year's event. 
And number three, if you have any other questions you'd like to ask anybody in the community, don't forget to register on cognitionx.com and ask a question on the Global Knowledge Network. Thanks for listening, and let's keep moving the conversation forward together.